cliffcentral.com. Let's turn our attention to JJ Cornish, who is, of course, a regular guest on our show. Every couple of days, he comes in and gives us an update on what's going on on the African continent. And today is no different. It is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. We're looking at what's happening on the continent of Africa. JJ Cornish, what a pleasure to see you. How are you? Bonjour. Lovely to be with all of you. And I'm very grateful to your listener who asked about Zambia so that I had something to do uh, while I Googled. <laughs> well, let me, honest, let me, let me quickly, <laughs> let me, let me play that for, let me play that for everybody. I think this was, um, Pichleng, who is a regular of ours. And, um, Pichleng wanted to know what, uh, you had to say about Hichilema. So listen to this. Hi, hi, Tim. Um, Pichleng here. Can I request that you ask uh, JJ Cornish to do a whole segment on Africa analysis based on Hakainde Hachilema, uh, the new the new president of Zambia? Uh, there's a, there's an interesting thing that he's doing that side where as much part everyone everyone else in the world inflation seems to be skyrocketing, but Zambia's inflation is still remaining in the in the single digits and. I'm interested particularly in JJ's analysis on the decision that the president has made with, or, or the agreement he has made with um, the International Monetary Fund, where Zambia has kind of like cut off subsidies on fuel and on agricultural produce that were always there in order to repay some of some of some of its loans back to the to the to the to the IMF. Hmm. Can you do like an analysis between that and Greece in particular? Because I think Greece also went through similar measures. All right. So, JJ, there's the, the basic from him. Um, we've heard about very, very interesting economic indicators coming out of, of Zambia. So what do we know about this? Let's start with that. Well, you know, as I do when I tell my grandchildren stories, I say, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then I'll begin. Once upon a time, there was a country uh, in Central Africa, very reliant on its copper. Ten percent of its uh, GDP was mining. And there's still problems with mining. But what happened was Zambia, two years ago with the COVID, became the first African country to default on its debt. But they got the man in charge, in fact, <laughs> disparagingly called the calculator guy. Hakendi Chalema is an accountant. And he went to see the IMF and he got one of these loans they called the uh, BEC loans, uh, or, no, extended credit uh, facility loans. And uh, it's $14.5 billion. Okay. So that means they could start to pay their debts back. Now, half of their debts go to the Western, to Western countries. And uh, in between, the most of them will go to Britain, France, and China. So this is what they've got to repay. And he started working on that. Now, the fact is, if you take IMF money, and uh, Lebang uh, used the word kohoni, so I'm sure that I can do that. And that's where the IMF hold you when you have their money. And that's what they did to Greece. You know, the Greece, Greeks stopped breaking plates but started throwing cups at the television, I think, every time they mentioned the IMF. So, so But he's done a remarkable job. Certainly he has turned inflation round from 24% uh, two years ago to 9.7% uh, now. And uh, the Quacha is the best performing 
African currency against the dollar. So he's mm. done remarkable work. But if this is going to work, and you know, this, I'm giving you the bottom line, we need to have debt forgiveness by these Western countries. Because Zambia can't simply pay. That debt, uh, the, the 1.4 billion, comes over 38 months. So it wasn't just one big package that he got and fixed everything. But yeah. uh, it'll come over 38 months. They've taken about 800 million of it already. And he is doing quite remarkable things. You know, Hichilema, uh, we look to him as a, as a, as an exemplary president in the, in the region. And we're very proud of what he's been doing. Uh, but, uh, you know, with countries like South Africa, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Ghana, all having galloping inflation, sadly, to see what he has managed. He's brought in, uh, fiscal measures that are really important. For example, he's, Remove the duty on importing cattle, important mm. to the agricultural sector in, in Zambia. Also on chicken breeding, remove the, the duties that they're paying. So it, stimulating that kind of growth. He's a guy with foresight and a guy with a lot of thinking. Hmm. Now, basically, these uh, extended credit facility debts are supposed to foster higher growth, more resilient growth, and more uh, inclusive growth, you know, for everybody in the country. And, and certainly the way he's been driving it thus far, it has been doing that. But I get back to the fact that if it, if it's got to work, uh, cause he can't, uh, you know, if it's not going to just extend the nightmare that as, as Zambia was going through, when you take money like that, you have to get, uh, some kind of a facility, some kind of debt forgiveness from the West to make it work in the longer term. Uh, the, the mining sector, as I say, is still in problems, and they are 10% of the country's GDP. But uh, it, it, more power to Haikande Hichilema for, for what he has done. And I think other African countries with a problem could look to that. But, you know, then you require, once you've done that, you require enormous discipline. He has stopped mm-hmm. Government departments lending, uh, and, uh, you, you know, you can't simply take that, spend it, pay, repay your debts, and then create new ones. How much, You've got to, sorry, how much does Zambia owe those countries? Uh, well, in terms of, uh, I, I haven't got an, a global figure for that, but it's certainly in, 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 in that sort of order, because uh, two billion, two billion so dollars to those countries. If it's two billion, I mean, you know, JJ, the, the Biden administration just recently announced they'll forgive $500 billion in student debt. These are people who took on that debt themselves. These are people who could probably afford to pay it back one day because they've got degrees. They're at, these are the richest people in America because you don't get to go to an American university unless you have money in the first place. And even if you don't have money and you get some kind of a loan, usually – um, for the people who've got bursaries and things who are at the poor end of the scale, someone else is paying for that for them. So it's amazing. They can give $500 billion in student debt forgiveness, but Zambia has to worry about $2 billion. You know, it doesn't seem... Not too many, not too many Zambian voters for Joe Biden, though, you see. Ah, yes. <laughs> and, all, and every one of the students <laughs> yes, being correct. forgiven, you can bet will become a, a, quite an ardent Democrat in the future. Yes, you're right. It is that cynical. And I'm absolutely sure that's why they forgave that money. Okay, so that, that is very helpful. Thank you very much. It's useful to know this stuff. But while we're talking about Zambia, just tell us about some of the other things that are going on over there. Because, 
you know, they're a, they're a hop and a skip north of South Africa, really um, very, very tightly packed into that area. Botswana, we've got Zimbabwe, we've got Zambia. And then obviously north of that, we've got the Congo and so on. Um, but but how important is Zambia and, and what sort of country is it? We've discussed them at, at some level of granularity, but maybe you can give us some updates. Well, you know, Zambia is a, a very integral part of, of SADC. The thing I like about Zambia and I, I, I dealt with the Zambians very extensively and, and, and maintained that relationship when I was a correspondent to United Nations. Mm-hmm. If you, they were the experts on dealing with apartheid South Africa, I felt. But today they are the most knowledgeable. When you want to know, when you want to really know the African opinion on Africa, ask a Zambian, unalloyed, uh, critical to a, to the, to a sometimes faulty degree, but they will tell you what is wrong in South Africa. And, uh, and they, and they, and they're, and they're right about that. So I just like to, I speak to Zambians regularly just to find what Africa is genuinely thinking about South Africa, not hmm. this giant at the bottom, this gateway to the rest of Africa. What is really going on in African minds about Africa? Uh, and about South Africa. All right. Well, are there any other updates you'd like to throw in since we've got a little bit of time this morning uh, about other things that are happening on the continent? Well, yes. You know, you spoke about the Congo, and and there's a country very, very close to my heart. I've been there as an election observer a number of times. I've visited there with ministers. uh, And, and, you know, it's one of the countries that I believe – uh, will change the face of Africa. Eleven neighbors they have, eh? mm-hmm. and they will change the face of Africa when things work there. And they haven't been, to be frank, and they're still paying. Uh, you know, I, I, I laugh at people who say, how long are you going to keep blaming apartheid? How long are we going to keep blaming colonialism? You read King Leopold's ghost about the DRC, and you'll understand that they are still to this day paying for the colonial horrors visited on them by the Belgians. You know, to to a lesser degree, obviously, but they, mm-hmm. there's still parts that that Belgium uh, can be blamed for. Well, they uh, they've got some stability in the east of the country. You know, when you cross uh, the DRC, you take your passport with you. It's like going to another country when you go to the east, and and they've got uh, mili- uh, martial law in parts of the east that have brought stability. So right now in the DRC, they are having a pre. Uh, COP27 meeting, you know, COP27, the climate conference in Egypt next month. Well, there's a DRC, the Congolese have got about 50 countries, including the rich countries, and they are uh, meeting in Kini, in Kinshasa, and they're holding the foot of those rich countries to the fire saying, you know, you broke it. You've got to help fix it. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And they're putting pressure on them, which is going to be done in spades um, at uh, the, at COP27. Uh, you've got to pay for mitigating the, the horrors, the climatic horrors that are being visited upon us at this time. So it's a very interesting thing that they should do it. And, uh, and I'm delighted that they, they have the security, uh, well, they certainly have the facilities to manage it. Kinshasa's quite a remarkable city and they have, uh, facilities to hold a big conference like that. Uh, so let's hope that they, something can come out of that, that they can go off armed with uh, something meaningful to take to COP27 next month. 
All right. Well, I mean, I'm not going to get excited about these climate conferences because they don't seem to result in anything, especially when the big countries like China and America and, and, and India don't want to sign them. I mean, what's the point of of small countries like the Congo or even, you know, little European countries like Finland signing on to these things? It, China is by far the world's biggest polluter. And if they're not interested in signing a carbon emissions uh, agreement, then what's the point? Gareth? Let me tell you that they can sign it because they do sign it. But it's when they get home, whether they're implemented. Now, as I say, at the United Nations, I can remember Canada being the most upright, righteous, anti-apartheid country there was. And, you know, they were the conscience of the Western world on issues like South Africa's occupation of Namibia and and apartheid. Well, at the the COP in Durban, which was what? I forget the number COP it was. I attended that. At the end of it, uh, Canada signed. And when the foreign minister got home, they reneged on what they'd signed right there. And that was the Canadians that did that. I wrote a piece then saying I'm never attending another one of mm-hmm. these multilateral conferences, certainly on yeah. climate, because this is what happens. You all get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you brief the journalists who write and, and, and say this is what's going to happen. This is the breakthrough this time. And we all become complicit in this fairy tale. This is what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, participants, the c- politicians, play along with us because they keep it running. And then it's supposed to end on Saturday at uh, 8 o'clock. And then on Saturday at 7 o'clock, they turn the clock off. So they negotiate through the night into Sunday, sometimes all the way into Sunday evening, and then suddenly, quotes, save save the conference with an agreement uh, that nobody expected. Well, this has happened every time, every single time. It's a farce, and we journalists are playing along with it. And uh, I, as I say, I'll never go to another one of them because, uh, you you know, suddenly you're realizing we're sitting through the night supposedly uh, wondering whether we'll get an agreement. Well, they play it like that so that it looks like it was a hard-fought agreement. The fact is, when they get home, uh, some countries, I mean, America always signs up to it, but when they get home, do they implement it? Look at Paris, which was supposed to be, that's the one that followed on ours, and it was supposed to sort of underpin and, 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 also, and, and sort of concretize I mean, what was achieved in South Africa. And it, and it still hasn't been properly implemented. You know, I love, I love the way that there are people who actually think they're going to make a difference to the climate by signing laws. Like the, the climate of Earth is going to be changed by laws. And especially, especially when they talk about taxes, you know, we'll just attach a carbon tax to things. That's going to make the climate change. It's not. And countries like ours and the Congo and others in Africa that need to develop are probably going to have to develop on carbon-based fossil fuels. Those other kinds of technologies are not as readily available to us here, and they won't supply us, <laughs> ESCOM's a case in point, with enough of it uh-huh. anyway at this point. So why are we being punished by Greta Thunberg's dream? You know? doesn't seem right to me. Well, you know, the, 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 the Durban cop was very, very amusing to me because – you know, we were all talking about uh, uh, carbon e- emissions and coal-fired uh, uh, carbon, coal-fired power was akin to sort of 
Nazism, mm. you know, but then they could see some merits in Nazism compared to coal-fired power. Mm-hmm. And here was South Africa hosting the conference, and we do nothing but coal-fired power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and, but and they said, oh, well, look, in, in, in your case, we're prepared to make an exception. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, farce, the farcicalness of it all is Hypocrites. absolutely astounding. And I think journalists uh, uh, who have nothing, nothing to offer except their credibility are in danger of losing that every time they go to one of these conferences. Virtue signaling has gone has gone like out of control. <laughs> no one actually cares about getting things done. You would say like people are busy running on treadmills thinking they're moving, yeah. but you're not moving. You are running in place. That's all yeah. you're doing. Anyway, I mean, listen, and, and- Maybe these laws will change. You know, maybe we can we can come up with a law that will stop, um, you know, the sun from from eventually turning into a red giant. Let's see how they do on that front. I'm sure, it's going to be terrific. <laughs> Just pop a tax on it. Didn't we send a rocket up to put the sun out of kilter the other day, or yeah. was it something else? But no, we, we, we did we, do no, something we, with a rocket. Yeah, we tried to get uh, one of those those asteroids that was heading. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't going to hit Earth, but we wanted to see, NASA wanted to see if they could knock it off course slightly, which I think they did. Of course, now there's going to be... I think that's what, the, now there's some that's a, what the North Koreans are trying to do as well, and nobody yeah. understands them. You know? <laughs> there's, just, yeah, there's, like, there's some alien planet somewhere that wasn't in that, that comet or that meteor's path, and now, shame, some, some alien's going to be sitting there on his front porch waiting happily oh no we've checked there no there no uh, asteroids heading our way for some time and then suddenly some huge burning piece of rock will come through because we've knocked it off course so who knows i i I just think it's all ridiculous jj imagine sitting there you're you're in your cosy sun tanning and then suddenly joe biden sends a rocket up you have to rush in and put your puffer jacket on quick time yeah at least he'll have clean you know have cooled down the climate all right jj it's very good to have you on thank you as always and thank you for answering that question from um Pichlang. if you've got a question then please guys let us know um you can get hold of us on contact at cliffcentral.com or you can just WhatsApp us a voice note. This is the number, and we will pass it on to JJ or whoever else we have on the show that um, that we need from time to time to give us an insight into a particular issue. And you can um, you can ask any question. No question will will go un- uncovered. No question will go ignored. Oh seven one seven eight three six two one four. Thank you very much, JJ. Nice to see you. Cliffcentral.com.